gentlemen, a couple of things that we talked about last week that ended up coming true. Uh, number one, we wanted to see a points night in California. It was a points road trip, and uh, we enjoyed that very much. And I hypothesized that we might see Nathan McKinnon return from injury when the Leafs play the Avs Wednesday night. And that is also going to be the case. But after that road trip... I say bring it on, baby. Yeah, that was a really impressive road trip. Uh, I, I think we all saw a lot of years where we would stay up late to watch those California games only to be going to bed very disappointed or, or infuriated a lot of times. So uh, to see them go and handle their business the way they did uh, on that road trip, uh, really impressive. We closed out a really strong month for the team. I think the overall record was twelve and two in November. They just—they've really put themselves uh, into a, a good spot heading into December here. And uh, yeah, that that road trip was just a really impressive showing. Uh, I, I like to quote from Simmons when asked about not getting a day off uh, between games out there. So they they didn't go out there to catch sun and free time. They were there to work. This is their job. They're there to play hockey and win some games. And yeah, they took care of business. Yeah, I mean, I think you're right. That was something I was going to mention too. Is just years past what this this trip meant, and I feel like sometimes or years past it was a little later, like like January or something, and it was really kind of just like the beginning of the wheels completely falling off. And yeah, I I, I didn't watch the uh, the LA game in real time. I needed to get up early on Thursday morning, and I so I I shut my phone down at like. Didn't go anywhere near it before the morning. Did what I needed to do, and then watched it. Uh, watched it the next day, and was pleasantly surprised. I was kind of going into it just being like, "Oh, like I'm gonna fucking turn this game on," and been looking forward to watching it. And then I was just goal after goal after goal it was great. So, I mean, the, the I think the most impressive thing about these games. It, it, you know, it's it. They definitely scored. I think we all knew that was coming. Um, so the, it, did, it wasn't like we just saw a bunch of offensive kind of chances and kind of the the way that they were playing. Like that didn't kind of come out of nowhere. It was just really great to see the goaltending over those three games do what they do. You know, and especially with with Wall. You know, not get, getting a start that wasn't on a back to back, which kind of says something. And, uh, you know, it feels like they might have found something here. I, obviously, super early still, but just exciting time to uh, to to have a, a goaltender come up kind of out of obscurity and, and really not not really having a great career prior to. I know, Nick, you've written about that. Not really having like a great uh, AHL career and then to come up and do this in the NHL. Yeah, well, as you said, I, I mentioned Wall in my prospect roundup at the Leafs Nation earlier this week. And the over, well, or the overarching point that I kind of wanted to make was how much of a boon it's been for the Leafs to, to be able to get what they've gotten out of Joseph Wall early this season. Because Mrazek was their biggest signing of the offseason. He was brought in to you know, share this workload with Campbell so that it wasn't just a matter of throwing a guy in on back-to-back simply because you felt you couldn't play your guy twice in a row so you know to get that out of a homegrown rookie netminder who you know before this last start on the california road trip he had two nhl games under his belt and the fact that sheldon keith was able to to give jack that extra time off and not just the game off he had a day of practice off as well knowing that they were going to start wall in that game on friday night so it's just a Really important to be able to manage Campbell's workload. Um, and when Mrazek went down, that was, I think, maybe the biggest concern, not necessarily 
whether Campbell was going to be able to continue to play well, but whether he was going to be able to continue to, to handle that much of the, the overall workload. So getting those games at a wall is huge. Yeah. And, and Keith, I know that you were kind of digging into some of the defensive numbers, right? Like it's um, certainly turned around, I, th- I think, for the Leafs on the defensive end from, you know, early in the season where there have been some guys looking really shaky. I, I think that overall, I would say like it's, it's not um, maybe quite to the level that it was on a consistent basis all season last year. Um, But, you know, this is certainly like the best we've seen the Leafs defending in like a a full regular season, right? Like playing against um, the full league. I I feel like there have been some times where Justin Hall has been uh, just dying to get back to only having to to figure out 85 forwards for for an entire (laughs) season. Uh, we, We saw a little bit of that, I think, in the L.A. game. But um, I, I mean, overall, I, I think that the defensive structure has has held up nicely. And, and one thing in, in in particular for me has been like Morgan Riley kind of stood out at times as he has throughout his career. Uh, it, even still, last season there were you know a lot of mo moments, right? Like bad reads or bad jumps. Well, how many two on ones did Brody have? To yeah, defend? exactly. And we haven't seen that this year. Like when when we saw Riley in the playoffs last season, like one of the thoughts was, man, if we could get this all year out of, out of Riley, that would really be something. And that, that's basically what we've gotten so far. So it, it feels like, um, you know, the, the defensive structure has kind of changed a little bit in terms of who's, who's really carrying the load for them. But it feels like, you know, overall you, you can, you can kind of say that like this, this team under Keefe is, is really looking like a, a very, very strong defensive team, uh, through you know however many games it's been with him at the helm yeah and i think that's kind of the the you know overarching point of um looking at kind of some of the defensive impact numbers is that you know they kind of pass the the eye test a little bit too because i think when you've noticed you know watching games when you see that the Leafs are hemmed in a little bit or if they're you know the other team seems to be kind of pressing is is when they're up a few goals so if you adjust for that and adjust like adjust for score and um they they, they become a top 10 team in, in expected goals against um but what i guess what I, I was looking at was or thinking about in my head during all this is like if you just listen to the analysts and listen to like hockey night in canada panels and and whatever the kind of perception is that they've done this 180 and they're this incredible defensive team this year, but they were that good last year, if not a little better last year. And I get that you're playing the same team every night uh, for the most part. So to your point earlier about Hall, it's a little easier to to kind of manage that. But I guess it all kind of comes back a little bit to this is how they were playing last year. It's not necessarily like a new system or anything like that. This is the same type, the same team, the same style of play. But ultimately we've had jack campbell playing the way he has and last year for the first you know portion of the year we had freddie playing as bad as he played and that's really the only difference and in, in in kind of the the end result of, of how they're playing defensively yeah i i think you know m- maybe some of it's being masked by just how well campbell is playing as you said and the other thing is i, I think there's a really stark contrast to what we're seeing on the ice now compared to what we were seeing in the first couple weeks of the season when things were kind of in shambles um they've really kind of tightened things up and i think maybe even more so like they're impressing in terms of the eye test maybe a little bit more than the numbers uh they're still like as you said kind of 
middle of the road uh, in terms of expected goals against. But Campbell has been so good, and he's just done such a good job of, of not allowing second and third opportunities. He's swallowing up shots. He's controlling his rebounds really well, even if he's not able to you know pounce on it and get a whistle. He, he's not kicking them directly out into the slot or leaving them sitting at the top of the crease. They're going into the corners. They're towards the boards you know, in, in an area that the defenseman's able to make a play on it or at least make it a contested puck. So I think that he's definitely maybe even made the the defensive play look better than it has been as good as the team has been yeah and i think that you know it's it's a going concern like with with campbell i mean you just don't know what he is still like in turn like and i don't mean that in terms starting of starting to get a pretty good idea well i yes but i mean i don't think you you think that he's going to be like a 945 guy the rest of his no, his no tenure so i'm not saying that in terms of like well we don't know if he can carry the load like i, I think that we at least know he can be a 1a um but the the question is more like what's his kind of save percentage going to settle around because i i i really don't know he just ha- he hasn't gotten this extended run and he hasn't shown any uh, like struggles so like you, you can't ex- you you just s- simply cannot you don't know how that. he's going to bounce back from yeah, a bad like, stretch like when he goes even if you know 867 over five games or something because it's going to happen like that's that's the thing that that is a little not causing concern or anything like that because the tire obviously we're nitpicking right now because of how good the team's playing but just in the sense that like he, he's not going to be this good all year um which is tough to to hear i guess but at the same time they're still shooting so far below where they should be shooting in a like a shot percentage standpoint that I don't think that uh, a dip in Campbell's play is going to automatically equate a, a bunch of losses, even if he does, th- you know, put up a few stickers. Well, the one thing I'll say about that is even if Campbell wasn't struggling per se, but, but say he was just having a, a very good year rather yeah. than like an exceptional one. If he was a, a 920 goaltender right now, is the narrative around how well this team is playing defensively the same? I don't think it is. Just because of those numbers you mentioned, Keith, a, a lot of the, the metrics have them as kind of a middle-of-the-road defensive team right now. And the bottom line is Campbell has been the best goaltender in the league, and it's it hasn't really been particularly close. Right now, Jack Campbell leads the NHL with 14.3 goals saved above expected. Second place is Sergei Bobrovsky at 11.7, and Frederick Anderson's right behind him at 11.5. So there's a massive gap between Campbell and the rest of the field right now. As you said, that's probably not sustainable. Um, I, I think it'll be interesting to kind of see how that narrative around the, the team as a whole flips when Jack maybe comes back down to earth a little bit. Yeah, because I mean, they're they're not they're middle of the pack like you said defensively but um you know if you look at just the like the percentage they're the best team in the league in terms of expected goals for so that that off yeah because their scoring chance numbers are outrageous different planet than everybody else so it's yeah exactly that's what (laughs) that's what's kind of the the saving grace and all this is they're kind of built for a little bit of regression right now but in 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 both ways in both ways it's it's not like waiting for the bottom to fall out on Campbell so much as it is like when is he going to stop playing like he's JSO Ban in 06 or Reimer when he first came up (laughs) for like a stretch of 50 straight games like it's crazy what he's been able to kind of string together and it has to end at some point and what is he ultimately um 
you know, on an average night, once he's not just playing out of his mind, or maybe maybe he is going to play out of his mind. Maybe he's a Vesna guy the rest of his career. Like what? What the hell is this? It's madness, and it's been a lot of fun. Yeah. Um, and it's going to be a a challenging stretch here coming up. Um, for Campbell and for the rest of the team, because you know, as well as they've played, um, like this is this is more like you know what what I've wanted to see is is you know coming into the season, we were talking about what would kind of make this year mean anything at all before the playoffs, which ultimately is the only thing that matters. But um, you know, not that you're going to expect them to win 14 of every 16 going forward, but like continue to look like this, continue to look dominant and do it against good teams. And you've got a lot of good teams coming up. Colorado, Wednesday night, obviously, then in Minnesota, in Winnipeg. Uh, you got Columbus in there and Chicago in there, but you've also got Tampa Bay, Edmonton, Calgary, all bef- uh, by mid-December. So it's, it's going to be a, a challenging stretch here the next little bit. And, um, you know, it, you're probably going to expect to take a couple of losses in there. But, you know, if you can come through that stretch and, and really keep this rolling and, and head into the new year and into the holidays like uh, this hot, that's that that would be um, even close to this yeah. hot heading into the holidays would be especially considering, you know, the way things felt in the, in the first couple of weeks. We went from kind of trying to, to calm down the masses when things weren't going well in the first couple of games to sort of feeling that same way ourselves after that because it, it, it really did look like a, a broken group of men out there they on the look, ice. They look mentally defeated. Or- they, they all looked the way that Freddie Anderson looked in the all-or-nothing doc. Yeah. Like, he, he was just like kind of a shell of himself. No one looked like they were having any fun early on. And, you know... It, just the way that they've been able to turn it around and they they look like one of the best teams in the NHL and as confident as we all were in this team throughout the course of last year leading up to the playoffs I, I might be even more confident in this group right now and that scar tissue might be a, a part of that you know I guess it, it might seem silly because you burn me once shame on me but or shame on you, sorry. But oh fuck! Here we go. Finish it, Bush. George George Bush. <laughs> <laughs> what? George W. What? I'll send you the video after. Okay, Wait, well, what? You, I'm totally lost. You don't know the George W. <laughs> shame, shame on me. No. Oh man. He tries oh, to say man. that. It's this just, is where we need. This is where we need audio drops. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. Well, we definitely need some. We need some of that Gilbert Gottfried audio drops from the the Kachuk's oh, yeah. uh, that too the yeah. presser. This guy's a bad guy. <laughs> but anyway, I forget what the fuck I was saying. So yeah, you were just saying <laughs> you're more confident. Shame now. on me yeah. for forgetting what I was saying. <laughs> fool me once, no, it was burn me once. Wasn't uh, it? <laughs> but yeah, I, yeah, but burn me once, whatever. Uh, anyway, c- confident in the Leafs right now. The, 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 the Leafs are good, folks. That's right. And I, I mean, um, oh shit, now I forgot my side. I had something queued up. Good, I uh, fucked the whole show this time. Not just my part. Mailbag! Yeah. There we go. Yeah, let's get back to that. that that'd be better. <laughs> um, yeah, we, we've yeah, got a few questions. questions. Um that we will get to from our Twitter that we, uh, yeah, we sent out a call for some questions and um, 
Let's start with uh, one from Doug. Um, Doug asks, now that I'm not mad at hockey anymore, uh, this is more of a statement at the start. Now that I'm not mad at hockey anymore, it's great to have you all back on my walks through the snowy forest. It might not be romantic for you, but it is for me. So thank you. I assure you, Doug, it is romantic (laughs) for us. Dougie. Uh, but seriously, when do you guys see Engval getting out of my life, and how do we make this happen soon? Um, <laughs> Dude, me, me and Doug are always I, I'm gonna spirits. Before you get into it, I'm going to offer a, a brief defense of Engval, who obviously, as... Well, but before you even offer up your defense, I, I, I'm going to, you know, kind of preface that by saying I, I was going to be a little easier on <laughs> Engval this time, so I, I'm interested okay. to hear what you have to say. Um I mean, as much as to to quote Brady Kachuk, um, he's got nothing going on up there. <laughs> um, I, I I just you know a guy who's six five who skates like that who's got those tree trunk legs you know those guys are not super easy to come by. Now he's not a, he's obviously not a game breaker or anything like that, but at least for the regular season as a guy that you're rolling out there to to chew up some minutes and he had a better playoff than I expected to see from him. Um you know, I I'm I'm not terribly upset with what Pierre Engvall's brought this year. Now, um he's certainly not my favorite guy out there, but there have been some times where I, I haven't minded him so much. This is the most half-hearted defense ever, <laughs> I know. But um I, I will happily swap him out for Ilya Mikheyev the moment he is healthy, of course. Yeah. 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 That's that was gonna be my that was gonna be my kind of short short answer to that is is he would be the guy that I'd take out of the I just I know that there's probably going to be some talk about taking Richie out, but I, I just don't see the, that. The team still has Maybe, too much at least not in yet. Richie. They still have to try to get something out of him, whether exactly like that's it or what not, it is. Th- this is the way it is. Yeah. So I think you know, not you know, barring that, no more injuries or anything like that, because McKay have had some pretty good defensive impact numbers. So if you slot him into that spot with Camp and Kasha, I think you might even get more out of that line, which has already been fantastic. Um, you know, and then, and then if Engvall does have to play, I, cause I've liked Engvall more yeah. better on the fourth line than I, than I have on that line with them. So yeah, I, I mean, to answer Doug's question, I would say as soon as, as soon as McKayev's healthy and we haven't lost anybody else, that would be the, the first move. I'd yeah. Make. I think you guys summed it up. And what I was going to say as well, Keith, is that I, I haven't really minded Engvall uh, in those minutes on the fourth line. When he was playing with Spezza and Simmons, I think that his speed was kind of a, a nice addition to that unit. Uh, neither of Simmons or, or Spezza are the most fleet of foot out there, but he, he was able to kind of start the forecheck maybe and, and sort of hold things up in time for Simmons to get down there and start kind of wreaking havoc with him. And I thought they were pretty effective in their limited time together. Um, with Engvall, I think what's – the biggest thing with him is he's just so frustrating because you see what he could be capable of if he had any kind of consistency or, you know, not to be mean, but awareness at all out on the ice. There's just so many times where you see him passing the puck to nobody or, you know, skating it into traffic himself or just not making a simple smart play. Uh, he can be a really frustrating player. Um, but he can also be a valuable player when he's on. So 
I think he's been a little better this season than I would have expected, or I've at least liked him a little more this season than I have in the past. But yeah, I think uh, once Mikheyev comes back, the fit is just kind of perfect for for him to replace Engvall in the lineup. Yeah, and I think um, if you know, if anything, at, at the very least, he's shown that he f- can fit on that line, and maybe if if. And Mikheyev shows that he can, you know, actually hit the broadside of a barn when he returns and you pull the plug on the Richie experiment eventually. And maybe you slide Mikheyev up and you're happy with what Engvall can give you in that spot. But a uh, good problem to have when you've got, you know, a couple of guys who are that big and move that fast and you can kind of uh, tweak whether or not you want actually want them in your lineup or not. We're finally getting to that kind of spot we were at in the preseason where we were like, where the hell are all these forwards going to fit in, right? And, and, you know, quickly after that, there were some injuries and and we didn't really have to face that. I think this is going to be the first time really, again, knock on wood, that nobody gets hurt before Mikheyev gets back. Yeah, well, there's – and we are kind of dealing with an injury at the moment. Uh, Andre Kosh has missed the last couple. True. He's he's not going to play on Wednesday night against Colorado. Uh, He did skate uh, Tuesday morning. Sheldon Keefe said that that quote unquote went well. So whatever. It doesn't seem to be a long-term yeah, thing. Yeah, it doesn't sound or feel like it's a long-term thing. Just kind of a day-to-day making sure that they're getting him all the way back before kind of bringing him back early. We've seen what happened with Mrazek. Um But yeah, we're getting to that point where there's going to be the the salary cap crunch is, is coming again. And uh once Mikheyev and Mrazek come off long-term injured reserve, there, there's probably going to be some casualties on the roster here. So Engvall is going to be one of those guys who's on the bubble. Uh, yeah, Joey Anderson getting in the lineup against Colorado on Wednesday night. Uh, next question from Quinn. What big moves do you see the Leafs making come trade deadline? Also, what would it take to give up a Robertson slash Amirov in a trade? Um Ooh. Nick, let's go to you first there. Uh, that's a really good question. Uh, shout out to my boy, Quinn, by the way. I love you, bud. Um, I, I think that they're going to be looking to it, – it's kind of been a talking point since even before the season. I, I think that they're probably going to look for a bit of that heavier element on the blue line that left when Zach Bogosian went back to Tampa, um, as well as Sandine and Lilgren and even Dermot at times have played on that third pair. I, I just I don't know how confident you're going to be going into you know what you hope is a deep playoff run with a third pair that's made up of, of essentially two rookie defensemen or, or a guy that's been beat out at times by two rookie defensemen. So I, I think that's a spot they're going to look to add. Um, depending how things shake out up front, um, if Richie's able to sort of find a role or you know even find his game and start contributing anything at all i think that could have an impact on what they look to do up front there's also the the whole nick robertson thing i think it might be a bit much to expect him to to really contribute this year once he comes back from from such a tough injury uh, and he's already you know kind of missed some development time the last couple of years and he is still a very young player but he, he he's a player that could inject some of that scoring punch up front later in the year if, if he's able to bounce back from that broken leg and, and find his game quickly with the Marlies. Um, but barring those things, I think that there's d- definitely going to be an appetite to add on the, the left side specifically up front. Um, bunting is kind of 
filled that spot on the top line with Matthews and Mariner well recently. Uh, Still kind of remains to be seen if that's going to be something that's sustainable over the course of the year, but I really like what I've seen out of him there. Kerfoot's been very good on that line with Tavares and Nylander. I I just think that the the team as a whole gets a little bit better if you can slide everyone down a spot. So I I think that the two areas that they're going to be looking at uh, are going to be left wing and probably a a physical, heavy kind of bottom pairing defender type. As far as moving one of the the top guys like Robertson or an Amirov, I I don't think that... That's something that's going to be really palatable for the organization. Um, we're finally getting to a point where we might be getting close to injecting some of that young talent on entry-level contracts. I think if, if the right piece comes along, you know, it, it might be a conversation. But when you look at everything in terms of like salary cap space and, and just what they'll be able to fit, I don't know if there's going to be a, a player available out there at the deadline that would warrant moving a, a prospect of that caliber. But we'll see, I guess. Yeah, I, I, I mean, we're kind of in the same position that you're in last year, that last year, right? Which is, you know, cap cap crunch. You know, might have a couple million dollars of you know space. Then you have to pull off a couple of retained deals and stuff. But I think you're pretty much looking at acquiring the same type of player um, as you did last year in, in a you know a left a top six left handed uh, or sorry top six left winger, and then you know some depth on the bottom end. Um, I'll be honest, I haven't really looked at kind of who's going to be available yet. Um, so I don't necessarily have like names or anything like that, but I think you can pretty much fit the mold of, of what they did last year. Um, I guess the question is going to come down to, do they, are, now that they have Richie and Bunting, are they going to feel the need to go out and get a Felino type or would they be more inclined to get a Taylor Hall type? Not to bring up that fucking debate, but with the way the team's at now, like which I mean, I could see if they went that way versus how they did last last year. Like they didn't necessarily have a lot of pushback in two guys that that, that could play in the top six um, or at least the top nine, and uh, you know that's part of the reason why they they went out and got Felino. So um, I could see this being the year that maybe they do the double retain deal for a guy that could come in and inject some offense too. So um, yeah, left left winger. Bottom, bottom pair defenseman or seventh defenseman even in the kind of Bogosian mold or um, even in the Hutton kind of mold, but maybe a little bit more um, a little bit more of a six than a seven like Hutton was. But yeah, that, that's about it. And then from you know, the other part of the question, like I, I, I agree with what you said too, Nick, but also just like they're just not in a position yeah. cap space wise that you're going to be dealing futures and good futures you know, if they had six or seven or eight million dollars in cap space, then I'd be on the first kind of you know get rid of the prospects and and go yeah. win a cup. You know, go out and acquire somebody that makes you know eight million dollars a year. But you just can't. They're just not in that situation right now. So I'm not. Nec- I'm not like a. Uh, since the team got good, I have cared less about prospects, and I know it's like your thing nick so like i it's not i'm not the the voice of you know I'm no not the i'm trying to remove this by my bias means, but like, that as well like, I, I agree with what you're saying right yeah i'm just a lot easier i'm a, I'm a lot more like i don't care you know i would trade whoever right now if they had the cap space but yeah I, I, i'm pretty much there with you but this team needs entry-level deal guys that can contribute so um, to sustain this kind of success so i i wouldn't be in a hurry to get rid of them right now for 
for that reason and for that, there's just no space to fit anybody else in. I'm going to roll my answer into the next question here a little bit. So the next one's from Brian. Uh, presuming you're moving on from at least one and potentially more than one of Hall, Muzzin, and or Dermot, do you think there's anyone in the organization that can step into a consistent role next season, or will the Leafs have to look externally for league minimum vets? So um, just to go back to Quinn's question really quick, like – what if, you know, I could see them maybe going for a center possibly, although you really like what camp's been giving you there. Um, so maybe the target instead is a defenseman. And what I would not mind seeing, and I'm going to try to kind of answer all of these at once, um, big moves and would you give up Robertson and Mirov? What if you could work something out with Anaheim or someone like that? Like I'm looking at, you know, the Josh Manson dream continues here <laughs> and and he's UFA after this season. So he's only at 4.1 for the rest of this season. If you get Anaheim to retain um, and you work out a deal. Now, I don't think you're probably giving up those guys for a um, – you know, for for a guy like Manson, who's an expiring contract, but like I guess I'm more looking at like a cost controlled, um, you know, bona fide top four defenseman who you can ride with for the rest of this season. Maybe like if it's retained or if they're just on a you know a lower cap hit or whatever it is, or if it's just a, a sweetheart deal, and then. Um, if you're going to move on from one of those guys, like if, if you decide that this Muzzin trend is troubling and you want to try to get out from under that, then you've got someone built in who, who's going to you know take in uh, take up those minutes after this season. Um, th- that might be what I would kind of consider. Like again, like the, the Mans- Manson is just kind of the name that comes to mind, but a player like that with some cost control that might you know get get. Um, because ultimately I think that that's you know if you can get a guy on a really nice contract that's what's going to to cost you yeah a big prospect more so than even a really good player who's making like eight mil or something like that it's you always have to consider that that cap hit and I think that a guy on a really nice contract would be the one that would command a a player like that but yeah uh, moving on to to Brian's question what what do you guys think Uh, maybe we'll go to you Nick first with specifically like how would you replace that internally? Um, Sandine, Lilligren obviously have, have looked good. Um, wh- where do you think they would go there? Beyond Sandine and Lilligren, I don't think that there's anyone particularly close, especially to you know being a, a bona fide kind of impact defenseman at the NHL level. Um, Mac Hollowell, I I've, I don't really see him as a as an NHLer in the future. Um, the one guy that's kind of interesting down there right now, I would say, is Christians Rubens, uh, a guy that the organization brought in on an AHL contract a few years ago. He's kind of worked his way up, got himself a, a legit entry-level contract with the Leafs, um, even earned himself a, a brief call-up earlier this season after being named as, as one of the, the first three players on the uh, Latvian Olympic squad. So he's a guy that the organization's kind of high on, uh, but he's definitely uh, a dark horse to to be a a full time leaf at any point. I think. Uh, other than that, uh, Brennan Manel is kind of exciting uh, from an offensive perspective. But again, uh, uh, not really a guy that I see as as being a, a bona fide option for the Leafs moving forward. Yeah, I get. I I kind of I, I can get down with what you're saying, Cam, in in the kind of like 
quantity for quality type of move um, on the blue line. Um, you know, getting rid of some of the the pieces that are there now that are, you know, maybe either not performing well or or just you know you you just want to tighten up a little bit more, like getting a, a haul and a dermit out for for a, a one piece, but. I guess the the depth would like injury depth would would kind of be something I'd I'd be a little concerned with in that sense. But if you feel like you know, then you can go out and get uh, you know a league minimum kind of guy uh, to to come in and be your seventh potentially. Um, just say, again, I just the cap space thing just seems like it would be so hard to do. But I've seen this team pull off crazier things like acquiring Nick Foligno last year when no one thought they had any cap space. So could happen, but uh, I, I just don't, I don't see a big shakeup like that coming. Nick, um, how far away is Topi Niemela? Because he, he's been really good in, in Finland this season, right? Yeah, he, he's been outstanding. He, he's definitely been the, the story of the Leafs prospect pool this year. Uh, he's leading all Liga defensemen in scoring. He's tops amongst all uh, skaters in Liga age 20 or under in, in terms of scoring. Uh, he, he's right near the top overall in, in league scoring. Um, I think it's important to kind of temper expectations with a guy like Niemela, um, as good as he is and as excited as I am about him as well. If you're expecting him to be a guy that's coming over and pushing for an NHL job next season, I, I think you're, you're getting a little bit ahead of yourself. He's still a very young player. He's, he's going to suit up for Finland at the World Juniors again in a couple of weeks. He's probably going to be one of the best players in the tournament again. But he's still a very... Behind Matthew Ness. Yeah, yeah, behind Matthew Ness. <laughs> uh, but he, he is still a, a very young defenseman. Uh, he still has a lot of physical maturing to do. Uh, it just it, You take one look at him. He's, he's still a kid. Uh, very talented. I, I think that he's probably... If I had to guess, he's he's going to spend another year in Finland next year, and, and possibly sign an entry level contract after that, and maybe finish out next season with the Marlies, and then he'll get his look in training camp. It could be kind of a Rasmus Sandin situation if he really impresses, maybe gets a, an early season look with the team. But I, I think we're still a couple of years away from from really seeing Niemela make an impact with the Leafs. Want to ask you more about Nyes in a minute? Uh, last question from Cole. Do you think the Olympics with international rules and refing will highlight McDavid and his lack of drawing penalties in the NHL, especially playoffs, or will the quality of teams negate it? For, first question, do, do we think they're going? Because uh, I only had the re- realization last week that there's a fucking all-star game scheduled for this year. What the hell are we doing? It, it, it's so obvious that they don't want to be there. And it, here we get uh, you know the insiders uh, dropping their little nuggets as soon as Ottawa has those three games postponed, talking about how uh, this might affect whether or not the NHL is going to China. Here's the kill date on whether or not they they're going to pull out it's like why why does that come up immediately like they they just so blatantly don't want to go they don't want to go and they have their perfect excuse now with the covid cancellations and all we got to get the league we got to get everything done by a certain date and where it's like why like you've gone pat you've blown past historical dates in the past of the last couple of years like what what if who cares if the cup's awarded two weeks later than you planned like I, I don't know. I I really hope they go, but you're right. Like the the kind of writing on the wall is starting to happen a little bit. Like the the CJs and the Draggers and the LeBruns of the world are starting to kind of do the eh, I don't know on on all the radio hits. So it's it's not looking good. 
Yeah, well, I think there's a lot of factors standing in the way of the NHL going to the Olympics right now. We got all the COVID stuff, but also there, there's recently been talk of some nations, including the U.S. and Canada, boycotting the games this year. So, I, I it's crazy to not know, like, with it happening so soon, whether that or whether there's going to be NHL players there or not. But the fact of the matter is, right now we still don't know and. It, the signs haven't been very good. <laughs> no. Yeah, it's, it's just going to be criminal if we don't get to see McDavid in Olympics again. But to answer the question, um, I, I don't know. I know it, it is an NHL size surface, right? I was going to say that, you Thank know, it, it won't be a factor because like on Olympic ice, no one is touching McDavid on international. No ice. one's touching just, anyone on they, international they, ice. It's so boring. Oh, I hate big ice. They, but they, they can't even. Yeah, they wouldn't even be able to get uh, within five feet of the guy if, if he had that extra space. So it wouldn't have been an issue. But it, yeah, I mean, it, if they go, it'll definitely be called a lot tighter than it's been uh, in the playoffs in recent years, I would think. Yeah, I, I think you would definitely get that uptick in calls against McDavid. We just we see an uptick in calls overall in, in international hockey. So uh, I think that, it, yeah, it would it would probably be pretty apparent and maybe even something that would just frustrate hockey fans even more to just kind of see what could be if if the rules were enforced properly. I mentioned Matthew Nyes, who was named to the um, Team USA uh, camp roster for the World Juniors. He, he's going to be on that team. And based on, you know, the little I've seen, Nick, you've seen a lot more. Uh, he's going to shred this tournament uh, because yeah. he looks deadly in in the college ranks right now yeah i'm really really excited to to see nice at this tournament against other junior age players because of how impressive he's been uh, playing in his first year of college hockey against a lot of players that are older and more experienced than him and more than that i think just his style of play and the way he's built physically is really going to stand out at the world juniors uh, he's he's just kind of a wrecking ball out there he's hired on the forecheck. He skates well for a big guy. He's got a deadly, deadly shot. He's got good hands. He's, he's just a force. He protects the puck so well. He drives middle. Like so many professional level instincts in his game in terms of creating space and just getting to the right areas and the way that he's able to help sustain possessions for his team along the boards and things like that. I think that he's, there's a chance that Nyes could sort of look like a, a man amongst boys for stretches of the, the World Juniors coming up here. He's going to be one of the, the most dangerous offensive players on the American squad. He might be one of the most dangerous offensive players in the whole tournament. Uh, it, it's going to be a lot of fun to watch him. Um, kind of the same question I had about Niemela with, with this guy because he's looked a lot better than I expected as a freshman. Like yeah. he, he looks, I mean, I don't watch a lot of college hockey, but you know, he, he, he doesn't look like most freshmen look no. basically when I'm looking at him out there. And I'm wondering like, you know, I figured that this would be a three or four year college guy. And I'm wondering if he's going to be out after, you know, maybe two years and, and playing pro. What, what do you, what's your read on like how far off, not necessarily from the Leafs lineup, but until he's in the system and, and yeah. like, cause he, I mean, it, it's, it's looking like this guy's going to outgrow the college game in a hurry. If he's, moving that quick and, and throwing his body like that already. Yeah. And it, it's always kind of tough 
uh, to account for the 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 school factor because you know some of these guys the the actual school part of it is more important to them than it is for some other guys and that's a factor for some guys being willing to to turn pro earlier rather than finishing their degree or what have you. Um, myself and Scott Wheeler kind of had a little back and forth on Twitter the other day. It, obviously. Scott knows as, as much about prospects as anybody does in hockey in general, uh, college or junior or otherwise. And I asked him if he thought that it would be possible to see Nyes possibly sign after his sophomore season next year. And he said he wouldn't rule it out. Um, but, but he sees Nyes probably going back for his junior year and playing three years of college before signing and turning pro if that is the case, if he does in fact stay in school for three seasons before turning pro, I think that you could probably see him at the end of that third college season, like sign his contract and probably get into some games with the Leafs immediately at that point. It, he'll, you know, be even that much more developed, not only physically, but, you know, mentally and all those things. But by that point, it, he already looks like as I said before, just so many pro level traits in his game, even if he doesn't blossom into a, you know, a full blown top six scoring threat, his floor as a impactful NHL, or even as a third liner, I feel is pretty safe. Um, whether that happens at the end of next season or the end of his third college season. Yeah. I'm going to be excited to see his development. He, uh, he looks like a stud. Yeah. Yeah, and uh, if you go back, everyone kind of maybe has a bit of trepidation because it, th- this happens with Leafs prospects, right? This is a guy who was drafted in the second round. If he was so great, why did he last all the way to the 57th pick? But if you go back and you look at, at sort of Nyes' year last year leading up to the draft, a, a lot of that can be explained. Like he, he missed a lot of time early in the season. He dealt with COVID and it took him a long time to, to really find his game and get back to, to playing his best after recovering from COVID. But if you look at his numbers in the second half of the USHL season last year, compared to the first half when he was dealing with all those things, it, it's, it looks like two totally different players. And I think that, you know, the second half of last year was the real Matthew Nyes. And if, that guy had been able to play all season long. He probably doesn't make it to the 57th overall pick. All right. Lots of optimism on this one. Gents, I, I don't know um, what to make of that exactly, but uh, we'll, we'll see what we can do about it for next. Foreign ground. Foreign ground.